But this morning, we're gonna continue the series that Pastor J.W. and that uh, last week Pastor Aaron preached on, mind games. And we, we talked about different ways that we have to have, uh, Dayton had already talked about, the armor of God and, and the things and the tricks of the enemy that, that he comes in and, and, and how to prepare ourselves and guard ourselves against those tricks. And this morning, we're going to continue that. You know, the devil is after our mind and wants to play games. He wants to afflict and, and torment our minds. He wants our minds to become deceived and cluttered. But the word says that he wants that God can refresh, can restore and humble our minds. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And, and what we're talking about through this series is is, is that very thing, how to refresh, how to restore, how to come against these things that we all deal with and fight with on a daily basis. I'm gonna throw a key thought at first thing this morning, that the battlefield which war is waged is in our minds. And today we're gonna talk about that, guarding our minds today. Uh, we're gonna look at King Saul. We're gonna talk about how King Saul was a, was a brilliant man, but he allowed the enemy to come in, plant seeds of doubt. He allowed the enemy to come in and speak uh, lies to him, and, and it ultimately, by not guarding his mind, it destroyed him. But before we do that, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. It says, So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And we're gonna talk about those schemes this morning. We know how, if we know how the devil works, and what I'm saying here, if we, if we know what Satan is trying to do, if we don't allow Satan to outsmart us, that we're able to protect our minds to where he cannot attack us, right? So, so what I'm saying is, but if we don't understand, we don't focus, and we don't learn the schemes, and what's a lie of the enemy, what's a trick of the enemy, that he's gonna have a heyday with us. He's gonna be able to tell us all these lies. He's gonna be able to attack us and, and, and we, we, don't, we need to learn how he works. So how does, the, how does the enemy work? We know that he is an accuser. Revelations 12 and 10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdoms of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. This is talking about the enemy, talking about how he would accuse you and accuse me to God, how he would day and night would tell God these things about us and he would, he would lie and he would accuse of all these different things, but once Jesus came on the scene and removed our sins, amen, that, that he was no longer able to accuse us to God. So what does he do now? He's still an accuser. That's still his title. That's still who he is. So what does he do? He tries to accuse God to us. He tries to accuse uh, others to us. He tries to accuse your loved ones to you. And you know, he tries to, to plant seeds of all these things and accuse other people of things in your life to cause these mind games. He loves to uh, throw accusations at us, to get them lodged in our, lodged in our mind. And I thought Pastor Dayton just told me in the back, he said, I have no idea what you're preaching on. Maybe I'll touch on it this morning. Well, you did. Ephesians 6 and 16 says this, and in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith, talking about the armor of God, 
to stop the enemy's fiery arrows of the devil. We must be careful how we think. We must be, have a guard up and, and have that shield to protect us from those fiery arrows that the enemy tries to get lodged in our mind. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The way we think shapes our life. The things that we think on throughout the week, the things that you know, we all have uh, sometimes worries, anxieties, things that we dwell on, and those things affect our life. It affects our confidence, and it affects who we are. And, it, and, and when we think about these things over, and we replay all these situations over and over and over again, if I would have just done it this way, or if I, if I could have just said this, or if I would just have done it. Listen, every day I go to work, and I get on that school bus. I love my job. I'm not saying anything bad about it. But every day I go to work, I think if I just would have picked a major when I first got out of high school, if I would have first just decided what I wanted to do with the rest of my life before I would not be at five o'clock in the morning starting this cold old bus, I would not be uh, struggling and feeling like that, that I don't have a purpose because I'm not in a career, that, I, that I'm pushing 30, which I found out some of you all thought I was a lot older than I am. I am 27 years old, I promise. But I wouldn't be pushing 30 and still looking and searching at what I want to do. I wouldn't be a college student. I wouldn't be working the, the part-time jobs and the fill-in jobs and all these things if I just, and if you focus on those things, what it's gonna do is it's gonna control you. It's gonna consume you. And the enemy will use those thoughts and use those things against you. So if the devil can accuse God to you, your spouse to you, your parents to you, your pastor to you, the list goes on and on. He knows that he can accuse good and God-given relationships to you. And that's what we're gonna look at is, is God has placed people in our lives for a reason. The relationships that we have in our lives, the people that's in our lives, God has placed them there. Now there's some that probably God didn't that we might need to remove sometimes. And there's, there's people that we have met along the way, but for the people that pour into you, the people that, that you're married to, your family, God places them there for a reason. And he will try to separate us from those people uh, and then he knows if he can separate us from the people that, he, that God placed, that he can get the best of us. He would love to see us separate from our spouse, from our friends, from our church family, from, and then ultimately love to see us separate from God because of the doubt and the accusations that he placed in our mind. He would love us to push away the people and, and, and push away the steps away, uh, the steps away from your calling. Working in church and being in church my whole life, I've seen people that's gotten hurt. I've seen people that has had a calling on their life that in the end, something said, one little thing done, one little comment caused them to step away from their calling and they lived in misery. They, they, they walked away from whatever calling God placed upon their life or they walked away from people that God had placed in their life and it caused so much misery in their life, and that's what the enemy wants to do. So that brings us to our story. I told you we were going to talk about Pastor Saul, or Pastor Saul. I was talking about Pastor J.W., Pastor Aaron, Pastor Dayton. So we're going to talk about Pastor Saul, <laughs> King Saul. We talk about the time, you know, we all know the story from, from Sunday school. Half of you all probably saw it on flannel graphs of, of David, David and Goliath. 
And we know the story that, that, that Goliath came and he challenged the people of Israel. He challenged them to, to say that there is no one greater than I and, and send your best man and I'll destroy them. And Saul had no intentions on fighting this man. Saul had no intentions on and, and stepping up to the plate and fighting him himself. But David did. David was called by God and placed by God at that moment to defeat Goliath. And, and God was sent, or God sent David to Saul in order to overcome that obstacle. And, and so we could even say that David was a God sent to Saul, but it didn't stay that way. They went together and uh, at another time started fighting the Philistines, and the Bible says that they destroyed them that they completely annihilated the Philistines together, Saul and David. And when they got back, they became a great celebration. And it said women started singing a song. <clears throat> First Saul, or Samuel 8 and 7 says this. That was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That one phrase, that one moment of criticism to Saul completely changed his life. He listened to those words and he decided to twist that into a situation and make that and allow the enemy to use that to form jealousy, to form some kind of, uh, of, of thought and accusation against David. That David has killed 1,000, that, that, or Saul had killed 1,000, but David had killed 10,000. This one saint haunted Saul, and because of that, he would remove himself from the relationship of David. He would remove himself from the very person that God had placed in his life for a purpose and a reason. If we go on to uh, verse 13. It says, Finally Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into the battle. So if we see right here, it says he sent him away. He got him away from him because if you read a little bit beforehand, it said that David was actually, or Saul was actually frightened by David. He was threatened by him. He was, he was nervous that uh, he would outshine him, that he would take over the kingdom. So that one saying became four different accusations in Saul's mind. We're going to talk about those, like the scripture I used a while ago, the fiery darts. We're going to talk about four different fiery darts that the enemy will use that we can see in this example with Saul. So we must guard our minds against the accusations of the enemy. The first one is limitations. I believe that most of us, if not all of us, deal with this. The limitations of ourselves. This is the accusation. This is when the devil tries to accuse you to you. We all heard the saying that we are of our own worst critic. We are our own worst enemy, that no one criticizes you more than yourself. So the enemy will try to use what we think is our limitations to accuse ourselves to us. Saul took the phrase of David has killed his thousands, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And he used that and twisted that into thinking, I have no value and I have no worth. Deuteronomy 32 and 30 says this, how could one person chase a thousand of them and two people put 10,000 to flight? And we, we write another translation that says that one can put 1,000, two can put 10,000. 
So this is the scripture that, that we see. And if, if Saul would have known this and he would have read this and understood the way God works and understood the way the enemy works and, and that he was just accusing David to him, he could see that his worth was great, that without Saul's 1,000, David would have never got his 10,000. That he had a purpose and he had a calling on his life and that God used him in order for David to be used. If Saul had never been there in the first place, if Saul had never given David the opportunity to fight, if Saul had never given David the opportunity to shine, he would have never killed his 10,000. Why do you think parents lots of times are so proud of their kids? When your parents, you know, you, lots of times when you see your kid uh, grow up and they, they get a better job or, or, or they, they have better things or they have a nicer life than what you had, the most response and the, and the, the parent response in them is to be proud. They're proud of their kids and they're not jealous because they make more money or they, they have a nicer car or, or, or these things. They, they're proud of them because they know it makes them look good. Because without them, we would never have had life. Without them, we would never have been able to succeed in the first place. So these things all link back and look good on the parents. And this is the way Saul should have took it. He should have been able to guard his mind and try to come against the enemy and know the enemy's thoughts and schemes of his accusations against him. The enemy started accusing Saul to Saul, the same strategy that he does to us, telling us that we don't have much value. You have no worth, you have no significance. Then became, then believing a lie because of the accusation. How many times do we feel this way? I know personally, I feel this way. I'm going to give you a moment of honesty. There's lots of times that, that I feel unusable. I feel insignificant. Me and Pastor J.W. just had a couple, couple weeks ago had a discussion where, where I was dealing with some limitations, where I was not guarding my mind against the enemy, a feeling like that I had no value in ministry. And, 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 and especially when you're in ministry, when you're in leadership, you will feel these ways. And we got to guard our minds against the enemy's schemes and against the, the, the attacks and the mind games that he's wanting to play. We've got to understand that it's not, we've got to flip that around. We've got to know that, that we are God's people. We are his children, but we have value. We need to know what we bring to the table. We must know who we are. Psalms 139 and 14 says this. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So I really like this scripture in multiple ways because it describes that God has made us all unique, wonderful, and he made us who we are. And if he made us this way, he has a purpose and intentions for us. If he made us to be a certain way, then that certain trait that we have, he needs it in his kingdom somewhere. But what I really like about it, it says, how well I know it. We got to be able to reverse the thoughts that the enemy throws against us. We got to be able to reverse those thoughts of feeling like you have no worth and, and believing the lies of limitations and know in our minds and in our hearts and how well we know it that God has created us with a purpose and with worth. We must know right well, as the scripture says, of the value that we bring. 
The devil wants us to look at other people's lives, and they want, he wants us to see their 10,000s. We look on, on, you know, social media, and we look uh, at people at work when, when they bring in their new cars, and we look back and we see the life that they portray. And if we're really honest with ourselves, most of what you see on the internet is not always true. The pictures and the posts that they post all the time of their, their glamorous throughout life or their 10,000s that we see versus our 1,000 is not always the case of what their life's really like. But with this lie, we begin to compare ourselves to them. We begin to compare our, our lives to the lives that we think other people has and, and the fact that they have more and they have better. And we compare our 1,000 to their 10,000. And what does this do? The enemy is able to take that thought and twist it to think that we need something different. We need to be something different. We need other people differently in our lives. And we begin to push out our spouse, thinking we need something new, something exciting. We begin to push out the friends that God has placed in our lives, mentors that God has placed in our lives to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. God has placed these relationships and we begin to feel like because what other people seem to have and the, the ministries other people have, that we find ourselves looking at that and thinking that what we have is not good enough and that we need something different. The enemy wants to steal your self-worth. He wants to be able to take and control how you feel about you. Because if he can get you to look down, if he can get you to not like yourself, it's a lot easier to get other people to feel the same way. You've heard the saying lots of times, you know, you're never going to get respect unless you give respect, or that's the same situation. People's never going to give you the attention, the respect, the love that you are desiring if you can't do it to yourself. Secondly, we see criticism is another tactic that the enemy uses in Saul. This is where others accuse you. We must learn how to process criticism and, uh, because it's not all bad. There are some times that people criticize you that have no business criticizing you. They're talking bad about you or they're accusing you of certain things. But there's other types. We're going to talk about four types real quick. Innocent criticism. This is, we see it in the example. When the girls was dancing and singing that Saul had killed his thousand but David his ten thousand. That was, that was not slamming Saul. Their purpose was to celebrate. And they was talking and they was singing and they was having a good time. Their intentions was not to criticize Saul. But Saul took this example and he, he twisted it around and he he. he turned it around of, of they was talking bad about him, that, that he has no worth, the limitations like we talked about a minute ago. All these things and these, these things started rolling in his mind because he took something that was innocent of criticism and turned it in and allowed the enemy to plant the seed of, this, of, of doubt. This kind of reminded me of when the very first time that I spoke um, at Workland. Afterwards, I, I you know, I still struggle, I still get nervous, and I still forget things, and I'll stare for a minute, my nose trying to find my place. But then it was a lot, lot worse. And my very first time, I think I've shared this story with you guys before, but I started looking through my notes, and it looked like my notes was blank. I stood there for what felt like an hour, just of silence. 
And I, I tried to press, press through and preach, and, and other people encouraged me. And how many knows that church people are good liars? You know what I mean? The, how many times have you been in church and heard someone that can't sing, and then Granny in the back tells them how well they did and how they blessed them, and they're the best singer in the world, right? So I had a lot of that going on. I had a lot of people coming up to me and tell me how great I did. But I'll never forget this, this gentleman come up to me and said, I'll tell you what, he was a former, he was a retired preacher, and he said, there's going to be times that you have a message that you're going to wish the whole world was your audience to hear. And there's going to be a time that you're going to have a message that you're going to feel like that you wish that no one was here and that you can crawl underneath a rock and hide. And he just looked at me, pat, shook his head, and patted me on the back. Now, he was trying to encourage me, but in my mind, I thought, I'm going to find a rock, I'm going to hide underneath this rock, and hope no one ever remembers this moment again. I knew, in my mind, what I thought what was innocent. I turned it around, twisted it around, and, and, and something that was meant to be encouraging turned into, at first, something that kind of could offend me. I, I get this a lot as well. I've learned not to let this bother me. I don't hear it very often, as you can see, but you look really skinny today. You wear a certain outfit. You look really skinny today, or you look really good today. Meaning, and, and what they're meaning is you look nice today. The outfit you have on looks great. What we twist in all the other days, I must look like garbage. All the other days, I must look like a cow. You know, all these things that we think in our mind that the enemy tries to twist this criticism around of that something innocent and turn it around into something that damages us. Because we've seen, just as Saul took something so innocent, so small, one phrase, he twisted and was able to destroy him. Second thing of uh, criticism, indirect criticism. This is what I was talking about a while ago with looking at other people. Lots of times people will criticize you by just being different. Sometimes we, you know, I had to be careful one time I was talking to a person that had just bought this, and I'm not talking bad about anybody that does, but that just bought this $1,000 dog. And I had made the comment how I would, first of all, I'm too cheap. I would never buy a $1,000 dog. But second of all, me, me and Brittany, we love dogs. We're dog people. I would always rescue. And I, just, I said that in a way of just telling them my side of the story as far as we love dogs, we rescue to both of ours. Now, that offended that person. I had to go back and apologize because they thought I was, you know, just sadly, you know, by my actions of adopting, by being indirect criticism of them, that they was wrong for doing the things that they done. And this is the thing that we can see, again, when we look at other people and we compare ourselves to people's life, we become boring with ours. It can be indirect criticism, something that don't even mean anything, a post that we see on someone's Facebook, a vacation that they go on, something that, that we see other people's have that we don't have can be indirect criticism to make you feel like you want and, and you need someone else and that your 1,000 doesn't compare to your 10,000. This one here is what we're maybe all more familiar with is injuring criticism. This is when people criticize everything, 
How many people know somebody like that that criticizes everything? That if they make it to heaven, they're going to go to heaven and criticize that there's too much gold, if there's too much happiness, if there's too much, they're going to have, find something wrong with everything. They criticize everything that you do. We all know people like that. Nothing's good enough. They will find everything wrong with anything. We must guard our minds against these kind of people and, 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 and guard our minds where we don't get injured by them. Because this is their personality and, and this is how they operate and they're never happy with anything. If we take what they say to heart, we will constantly be living in a, in a situation that we're always looking over our shoulder, we're always wondering what's going on, we're always trying to live up to someone's standards that God's not intended for us to live up to. The only person that, and, only, and only thing that we should be worried about is living up to the standards that God has set before us. No one speaks to you more than you, so you have to be able to be that sound mind to know when, when this person's speaking negativity over your life, when this person's speaking criticism over everything that consumes your life, you have to know how to let it go. You gotta be able to guard your minds because that too is a tactic of the enemy to try to lodge in to live up to unrealistic expectations. And this one here is where Pastor Dayton was, was touching on earlier, instructing criticism. God will sometimes place people in our lives to sharpen us. The word says the iron, sharp, I just said that real country, iron. Let's go to Arnton afterwards, everybody. Iron sharpens iron. So we, we know that there's people in our lives that God has placed for a reason. And some of that might be criticized just a little bit. This isn't something that, that, that is supposed to tear us down, but it's supposed to build us up and coach us into being a better person, to being a better servant of God, to being a better minister or a better singer, whatever, whatever your job or your calling is, God has to place these people to correct us sometimes. As Dayton was talking earlier, we wake up in the morning and sometimes we feel like, you know, he talked about wanting to put the armor on and that God has to adjust us every single day. Sometimes we get so consumed with ourselves that we can't see the adjustment that we need. And that God has to send those people and send people in our lives to help us with those adjustments. We must be able to take that criticism in order to help us and, and, and teach us to who we are. Because if we decide to take it as a negative thing, if we decide to, to take offense to these people, we're going to find ourselves not only not getting the correction that we need, we're going to find ourselves pushing somebody a way that God intended to be in our lives and pushing away the direction of God, which will ultimately push us away from God himself. So we got to be careful with criticism. we got different ways, and we got to know how to process it because it's not all bad, but, you know, sometimes criticism, when the enemy uses criticism, it can come to kill your confidence. when you're worried about what others think and when you're worried about what other people have said and you're worried about all the criticism that you've received that you can't be confident enough to step out and be the person, the man and the woman that God created you to be because you're so afraid of what others think or you're so afraid of a failure because they keep on constantly remind you of the failures that you've had or and all these things that we've twisted in our mind and all the lies and the attacks and the tactics of the enemy that has been placed in our mind keeps us 
from moving forward, it hinders our confidence. It hinders us knowing who we are and what we was called to do. The third attack that we see on Saul was threats. And this is where the enemy accuses others to you. I don't know how many times I've witnessed this growing up in church, how many times I've seen it in the secular world. A new person comes in, they have a background. You know, when, we, when I worked as a, uh, when I worked at a, a different school and we had somebody that, that, that drove bus and that was able to do different things, uh, but he also was a trainer. And then later on, we got a, a sub hired on that was a trainer from another district that got moved in, and, and sometimes he would, be getting, he would get threatened. We started noticing there was things that was being said and done that, that, no longer, that was normally not said and done to show that he knew these things, to prove his worth, to show that, you know, because he was threatened that his job was in jeopardy. He was threatened that, that someone else would know these things as well. We see this in church time after time where, where people come in that God has placed as an asset to a, to, to a place that people get so scared that they might be better than them. They might preach better than them. They might, they might greet better than them. They might teach kids better than them that they get so nervous and scared that the enemy, enemy places these, these uh, accusations of doubt in their mind. Back to 1 Samuel 18, 8 and 9, we see that this, we see, this made Saul very angry. We're still talking about the song that the women was singing. What is this, he said? They credit David with 10,000 and me with only 1,000. Next, they'll be making them their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So we've already said that David was sent to Saul as, 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 as a godsend to lead and guide and make his kingdom better. But we also know that we see that he became so threatened by the thought of David being better than him. He became so threatened that, that he was going to be made king over him that he, got, he lost focus of what his purpose was. He came so consumed with the threat that David was going to overthrow him or outshine him that he forgot about the calling that God had anointed him with, the, the calling of, of being the king of Israel, that the people relied on him, and he lost focus of this very thing. Due to this threat, due to this overwhelming accusation that he was believing of the enemy, he lost a God-given relationship. When you doubt yourself and your self-worth and you doubt uh, the purpose and, and the... the um, the meaning behind everything and why this is done this way and why this person is here, what is their intentions. When we do these things, we are allowing the enemy to plant seeds about others in our mind. We think they're after our job or, or they don't truly love me or they don't really appreciate me or I'm just here because so-and-so or the only reason that they keep me around is, is this, that, and the other, you know. We have people that 
that, that they, they believe these lies of the enemy because he knows that if he can destroy you, if he can consume your thoughts, if you can, he can get you to tear down other people, that he has you. We must guard our minds against these threats. Another key thought we had is don't push away who God has placed. We are so guilty of that so many times and we're so, uh, find ourselves in situations where we're wanting to remove ourselves from people because they threaten us. But lots of times God has placed those very people in our lives. And lastly, doubts. We see so much doubt being represented on Saul's part. We see him doubting his calling. We see him doubting his purpose. And doubt is when he decides to accuse God to you. So with limitations, he accuses you to you. Criticism, he, uh, others accuse you. Sorry. And then we have, we have the, uh, where he accuses uh, yourself to you, and then now it accuses God to you. He, this is when he tries, when, he, when all the other ones fail, or when all the other ones seem to work, he knows if he can start getting you to push people away, if he can get you to focus on criticism, if he can get you to focus on your limitations, that you'll beginning to doubt God. Then you'll be able to begin to doubt that the word says that you can do all things through Christ. When the word says that his promises are yes and amen, and when the word says that, that we are more than conquerors, when the word says that he loves us more than anything else, that there's nothing that can separate us from that love, that we will begin to doubt that. Because everything else has fallen into place. Every other person has accused me, and I'm accusing myself, and I feel like I have no worth. Others are criticizing me, and, 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 and other people are trying to take my job, and other people, if that, all those things are true, then I'm going to also be able, he's going to be able to try to accuse you to God, to where you don't believe these things. And it's, it becomes a downward spiral, and that's exactly what happened to Saul. If he can accomplish the other things, he can, he can accomplish accusing God to you. Lots of times by doing these things and seeing and believing these lies of the enemy, we decide to not trust in God. We decide that we're going to take things in our own hands. And when, and when, and when discussing this point and studying this point, it reminded me of Abraham. God promised Abraham a son. God promised him that he would have a son and, and, that, and through that would be the great lineage and, the, and, and you know, the, the kingdoms and the, the generations and generations of blessings that would flow from that. But because of the enemy's lies that Abraham decided to use, he decided to take something in his own hands when it didn't work out in his timing. He pushed on and decided, we all know the story, had another son with a different lady that God did not, did not ordinate, did not, did not agree with. And it caused great, still to this day, it causes great, great conflict. People's lives are taken because of that mistake, still today. Because the enemy was able to get into Abraham's mind and able to tell him that God's promises was impossible that he was too old, his wife was too old, and those things would never come to pass. Doubts cast aside 
or be consumed by them. We must cast them aside or they will consume us. No matter what that doubt is, whether it's doubting yourself, doubting others, or doubting God, if we don't cast the doubts aside, we will be consumed by them. And in closing, we all have relationships, as we just talked about, that God has ordained, and, and people, or with God, our relationship with God. And what the enemy does is, as we was talking about, is he likes to throw these accusations out, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your boss, your pastor. This is not my illustration. It's something I saw. A preacher brought out a file and talked about all these accusations that we have on these people and, and, it's, and, and how thick it is and all the things that they've ever done wrong to you and, and, and all the things that, that we can say that might not even be forgivable. You don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand uh, the, the, the things they've said about me. And all these things that we keep in a file that the enemy brings up and plants and reminds us all the time of these situations, these accusations. So what are we supposed to do with that file? We know, we know how the enemy works, and we know these accusations are here, and we know that all these things are brought up to us all the time. But first we need to learn how to reject them. We now know what his schemes are, but, but how, do you, how do you get around that? How do you, even though you know this is what he's going to do to you, how do you prevent, or as the scripture says, shield against it? We reject him. Learn how not to listen to the enemy's lies. Learn how to, to prevent yourself from being in that situation. We must replace them. We must be able to, to see the good in the situation. And, and like I said a while ago, if it's, it's an accusation on yourself, know who you are. Know what God has promised you. Replace those thoughts of doubt and of fear and anxiety and replace them with the things that God has promised you and given you. Colossians 2 and 14 says this. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. God was able to take our sins and the accusations that the enemy has told on us and nail them to the cross. Now it's up to us to do that same exact thing, to say, God, I know they've done me wrong. I know these things have happened to me. Uh, I know that maybe sometimes the enemy tells me I'm not worth it, but I give you to you. I give it to you, and I nail it to the cross. So we must replace those things. And then lastly, rescript it. We must be able to rescript the things and those charges. We must be able to, not only do we take the pages out of that file and replace them with good things, but then we're able to read those things where once we might be able to say, my spouse don't respect me, and my spouse is rebellious, and my spouse doesn't love me, then now we can say there's no one more lovely than my wife. There is no one 
more honorable than my wife. There's no one that is more uh, lovely, and, 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 and we just replace all these things that the enemy once had told us and lies that we believed. We now replace them with what God has told us. And now we can re-script that and we can reread that in a whole new way. And the last scripture I want to show you is Philippians 4 and 8. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure, and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We are to think about these things. When the enemy brings up a situation and brings up a thought, a fear, an anxiety, we know that God is able. When, when, when God tells us to look at these things, we know that if we're busy looking at what is good and what is honorable and what is pure, that we don't have time to think about the doubts. We don't have time to think about the lies and the enemies because we can't focus upon the lies and the criticism and the doubt and the, the threats if we're thinking about what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. And all these things, if you read it, describes God. If we focus on God and we focus on the things that his characteristics and the things he promised us, the enemy tactics and schemes cannot work. So this morning, as you bow your head, I'm going to pray with you all. I just want you to think about these things that, that I said today, that, you know, sometimes we feel like we're not worth it. We feel like that we are not worthy of his love. We're not worthy of forgiveness. We're not worthy of anything, but God's word tells us otherwise. God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. God, I thank you, Lord, for us gathering together, God, and, 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 and reading and studying your word. I, I, just, I just want to encourage the people today, God, that no matter what you're going through, whatever lie or trick of the enemy that you're believing, that when you walk out today, today could be the day that you're set free. Today could be the day that you decide and believe to stand on the word of God and believe his word. Not to doubt. Not to have fear, not to have anxiety. Not to allow things of the, the world and the enemy and the lies that he's told to consume your minds. But I ask that you just give them peace and comfort God, I ask that you just give them the direction that you would have for them to go, God. Have them be able to remove the people that needs to be removed out of their life, God, and the negativity out of their life, God, in place and allow them to see that you have placed people in their lives to help build them up, to help, help encourage them, God, that you've given them a church that is able to stand with them through every situation that they have pastors and they have leadership and they have people here, God, that love them and, and, and care about the ultimate well-being of their lives and their, their spiritual lives, God, that we want to see people not only saved, God, not only set free and healed, God, but we want to see people happy. We want to see people living with joy in their lives and, and people that are able to stand on the word of God and stand 
when nothing else seems to be going right, be able to know who God is and who they are in God. That when the world comes against them and when the enemy comes against them and they fight and they try to tear them down, God, that they know that they have a God in heaven that loves them. That they know that they have, that they have a body of believers that's praying for them and that, that, that cares for them. God, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for your word and your presence that we felt here today, God. I ask that you restore hearts and you restore minds, God, that, that when they leave here today, God, they leave here with freedom. That they leave here, God, with chains broken off them. That they leave here today, God, changed forever. God, that we know that your word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that we are followers and we are children of God, God, that that freedom lives inside of us. And all we have to do is call it forth. That all we got to do is speak on your name. God, and all the darkness and all the, the doubts and fears and anxieties has to flee. That God, we stand against the enemy right now, God, over the attack of people's minds, God. We, we ask that you restore, that you refresh, and that you renew their minds and their thoughts today, God. In Jesus' name. We're glad you joined us this morning. As uh, Pastor said, we got one more week here. We're getting excited. Um, so we hope you join us for our last Sunday. And uh, have a good week in life groups this Wednesday at 7 o'clock.